If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. doubt that the reaction to the coronavirus pandemic in 2020 has been at best grossly overstated and potentially at its worst a cynical attempt to enslave and ensnare humanity if not to sterilize her. Good evening Mike here with Restoring the Faith. Thank you for joining. In March of 2020 President Trump locked, uh, launched Operation Warp Speed, a multi-billion dollar bid to develop a vaccine in which the Health and Human Services then subsequently, in April, announced that they would give $456 million to Johnson & Johnson, $483 million to Moderna, $472 million also to Moderna that same month in April. In May, $1.2 billion to AstraZeneca. In July, $450 million goes to Regeneron. Then $1.6 billion to Nova, Novavax. Then $2 billion to Pfizer. Then $2 billion to Sanofi and GlaxoSmithKline, a foreign entity. So you can see there's a lot of billions slushing around. There were multiple billions from last summer that have spilled into the fall and now the winter. Americans are wondering, is this vaccine safe? Will it work? And is it moral? Our next guest not only says no to both, to all three actually, but she's written a book and in her book, she talks about how the coronavirus has eluded scientists for more than 15 years, a vaccine to it, and that the vaccine candidates have disturbing side effects, that it may be impossible to have herd immunity, so-called, to, to coronavirus or anything else for that matter, through mass vaccination. She also says that the controversial claim that humanity would be better off without any vaccines altogether... I'm so happy to be joined by Pam Pamela Aker. Let me bring you up on the screen here. Thanks for joining me. Uh, now you hold you hold a Master of Science degree in biology. You have worked on virology and, and immunology. You've you've actually uh, one of your research projects that you were involved in was in a novel delivery of a vaccine using another vaccine. You've worked uh, in uh, what you said the Human Genome Lab, and you've written this book. Vaccination, a Catholic perspective. Yes, all true, sir. 
All true. All right. Guilty of all crimes. Um, this podcast is going to be an interview with you, Pamela, and we're, it's basically going to be cut in half. The first half is going to answer some major questions. Why did you write the book? Um, do vaccines work? Are they moral? And are they safe? Then in the second half, we're going to examine specifically the COVID vaccine, Operation Warp Speed, with questions like, what is mRNA? How does it work? What are the risks to it? What about um, humanized mice, um, et cetera? So uh, let's get right into it. First and foremost, congratulations. You've written the book. It's put out by the Colby Center. Hugh Owen of the Colby Center was just on the channel about a month ago. We were talking about the myth of evolution and why evolution is racist. You should subscribe to the channel and check it out if you want to hear that. That's a three-hour discussion, perfect for podcasts. This will not go three hours, I don't think. But if it does, it's fine. <laughs> First question, though, Pam. Sure. You've been working on the book for a while, long before the so-called pandemic, right? Why, yes. what, what compelled you to do it, and uh, is, is, is not your timing impeccable? <laughs> well, God's timing is always impeccable, Mike. So... Um, uh, I've been teaching for 14 years, um, and, you know, working in the research lab for part of that time as well, and constantly too busy to do anything on the side. And Hugh Owen has, uh, of the Colby Center has been after me to look into vaccines for, I don't know, four years, maybe. Um, I, he handed me a book, uh, a long, long time ago and I said, yeah, I'll read it when I have time. And of course, you know how that goes. Um, so, uh, our Lord gave me some time. Um, I sustained a pretty serious ankle injury a couple years ago. And was on the couch for a while. And while I was on the couch, I said, hey, Hugh, how about that vaccine book that you wanted me to read? Um, let me take a look at that. So I actually started research on this um, almost two years ago. So it would have been April of, of 2019. And I had no idea at the time how incredibly um, powerful this message was going to be. And I had no idea at the time what I was going to find. You know, so when, when Hugh asked me to take a look at this, I had spent... Um, about a year in that working in vaccine development with the Catholic University of America. So the lab I was working in, um, the, the Rao lab there, they were looking at developing a, a new vaccine for anthrax and plague. And as a you know, military brat, um, you know, my, my interest in preventing bioterrorism was, was pretty intense. And I was also interested in um, developing something that was not produced using aborted fetal cells because I was aware of the problems there with that, um, that method of producing vaccines, um, even back in high school and in, in the, the late nineties. Um, and that's kind of what motivated me to get into vaccine research in the first place. I wanted there to be something that Catholic parents could, could give their children in good conscience. And so, um, I spent a year working in this lab, just about a year working in this lab before I discovered that, uh, the project I'd been switched to, which is actually an HIV vaccine, um, itself included uh, the use of aborted fetal cells. And this, the cell line is HEK293, and HEK stands for human embryonic kidney. So um, it, was, uh, it was the end of my, my, my time in vaccine development because I, I knew I couldn't do something that, I, that uh, wasn't morally licit. Um, but I, I definitely left the lab, you know, a proponent of, of vaccination as a method of, of um, preventing disease in individuals and in populations. And so when Hugh asked me to take a look at this, I, I kind of was like, well, all right, I'll, um, I'll see, I'll see. Cause he had some questions about, you know, just the paradigm of vaccination in general. And of course, you know, if you look anywhere on the internet, you see all kinds of concerns about safety, um, efficacy, you know, do, do these things really work? Uh, are they really safe? And, and, uh, I was absolutely shocked by what I learned. 
Okay, uh-huh. so my wife was just in here talking to you because we, yeah. we knew each other in Texas. You're no longer yeah. in Texas. I'm no longer in Texas. It's a small right. world when it, when it comes right down to it. Congratulations on the book. Um, like I said, your timing is impeccable. One of the things that she has observed and that you guys were just talking about off camera right before we went live right. is that the information that is available to the Catholic parent who's homeschooling their kids, who's trying to protect them from evils, doesn't want to inject their bodies with heavy metals, with aborted fetal cells. Um, all of that information is hard to find now. Ten years later, we, when we're trying to find it to explain to our friends who are up and coming, brand new married, you know, having children, should I vaccinate, should I not vaccinate? There's a purge of information, Pamela. I mean, did you experience this when you were writing the book, and how did you find other information? So... Um... I relied pretty heavily on some print sources uh, to, to sort of start my investigation. And then I, I was able to look into some scientific journal articles. Now, this isn't going to be accessible to your average parent. So I, I had a, a distinct advantage there having, you know, been trained in, in molecular biology um, with my master's degree. But uh, I, I would say, um, you know, definitely there's some really good information for parents available on Children of God for Life. Um, especially about the aborted fetal issues, um, the the moral uh, implications that are involved there are very well parsed out by some very good uh, traditional Catholic priests and, and one um, Ukrainian Catholic, I think, priest as well. Um, so there's some good information on there, but there there is a lot of um, of suppression of this information. It's 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 interesting. There was a, one day I did a Google search, you know, scholar.google.com. You're supposed to be able to get reputable resources, right? And I was trying to look up a particular fact. And, and the nature of this fact is eluding me at the moment, but um, to kind of verify whether it was true or not. And I was directed, like the first hit on scholar.google.com was a blog. And it was a blog, you know, quote unquote, debunking whatever uh, this this uh, scientist had claimed in, in uh, his concerns about vaccine safety. And I was like, well, this is very strange that, you know, a website that's supposed to be taking me to journal articles is taking me to a blog and I can't find anything about this guy or, or what he said, although it's referenced right here in the book that's in my hand, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so there definitely has been, um, a lot of censorship. And even just in the two years that I've, since I've started researching this, I've noticed there's more censorship now than there used to be. And there, there are yeah. books that were in print that are no longer available or are available for a hundred or $200 a pop kind of thing. So mm-hmm. this information is, is, is getting increasingly difficult to find, unfortunately. Uh- we're going to get into the interview, and I, I, we want to we want to hit the main three points: Do vaccines work? Are they you know are they safe? And then are they moral? Um, and then we'll we'll be talking about coronavirus. But just very quickly, for those who understand how hard it is, there's a dearth of information, and they want to get your book now. The easiest way to do it is to go to colbycenter.org. Is that right? Yes. So Colby, like Saint Maximilian Colby, K O L B E center.org and um they the book is there in the the store um and it's it's kind of the one of the last books on the listing because they do them alphabetically um but you can reset the the um search filter to allow you to, to list newest first and then you'll be able to find it and for those who are listening to the podcast not watching on youtube it's vaccination a catholic perspective by pamela Aker, ms okay um let's get into it first of all Talk to us about the efficacy of vaccines. Do they even work? Well, that depends on how you define work. Um, so vaccines in general, we wouldn't be using them if they didn't give us at least a modest protective effect 
um, against an individual contracting a disease, right? But um, generally, they're also touted as the best way to attain herd immunity in a population and also the best way to protect yourself against any possible ill health effects, you know, from the disease or potentially even other diseases because some vaccines are, are, are cross-reactive. So, um, so do they work? So do they benefit the individual? Um, and the answer is that depends, right? So it depends on the vaccine. And there, there are vaccines for um, things like rabies. Now, uh, rabies is not 100% fatal, but it's pretty close. Um, and if you're bitten by a rabid dog, they, they will give you the rabies vaccine um, after the fact. The rabies vaccine is one of the few things that can be used therapeutically rather than prophylactically. And so for our, our audience who's maybe not initiated in medical terminology, um, prophylaxis is, is treating something before you have it. So the whole idea behind vac vaccination is, is generally prophylactic. We're going to treat you um, against measles before you're ever exposed to the measles virus. Um, but uh, the rabies vaccine can also be used therapeutically, which means we're going to treat you for the rabies virus after you've been exposed to the rabies virus. And that's actually pretty effective. So um, I believe we have, you know, a handful, uh, less than five rabies deaths per year in the U.S. And, and 30 to 60,000 people are treated for rabies in the U.S. So that, that's extremely effective. That works really well. Um, you know, and if you, if you, um, if you get vaccinated, you got vaccinated for the mumps, probably I, I did I, measles, mumps, rubella, you know, I never had measles, mumps or rubella. Um, but, uh, that doesn't mean that everybody who gets the vaccine won't get the disease because there's, there's, um, uh, vaccine failure, which can be, it, it happens sometimes for reasons we don't really understand. And there's two types so there's, there's primary vaccine failure, and this is when the individual who's vaccinated just doesn't remount an immune response. And we really don't know why. And there may be some genetic component to it. There may be some environmental component to it. Um, but even if we vaccinated 100% of the population, we would still not have 100% of the population protected against the disease because in certain individuals, they're going to experience primary vaccine failure. And it doesn't matter how many times you vaccinate them, they're still not going to mount an immune response to the disease. And then you also have secondary vaccine failure. And what secondary vaccine failure is, it's, it's when the, the immunity for the disease sort of wears off, right? So um, in, for hepatitis B, um, which is given to infants at birth, uh, which is silly because um, hepatitis B is a high risk for um, people who are extremely promiscuous or intravenous drug users, and newborns don't generally fall into either of those categories. Um, but we give them the hepatitis B vaccine at birth because it's easier to vaccinate an infant than to get somebody who's in one of those high-risk categories to come into the doctor's office. Um, so there's some questionable you know, policy going on here as well, which we can definitely delve a little bit more into later. Um, but uh, 35 percent, um, I think is 35 percent. And this is in my book, so I might end up misquoting myself, unfortunately, but, uh, it was 35, 35 percent of individuals, um, lose the, uh, antibody response to the hepatitis B virus within, I think five years. Um, so it's, it's, it's remarkably ineffective. The HPV vaccine, we're seeing sort of similar things. People are being vaccinated as young as nine years old, against um, a sexually transmitted disease, uh, human, papilloma, human papillomavirus. And they're, they're losing antibody response by the time that they're in a high-risk category for contracting this disease. So, so the answer is it depends. Um, 
you can see a modest protective effect with some vaccines. You see very little protective effect with other vaccines. And, you know, some vaccines like the rabies vaccine are, are actually quite effective. He's on mute. Okay. Mike, I think you're on mute. Oh, I'm on mute. Oh, <laughs> you and I were in. Okay. So uh, brilliant point that everyone just missed. You and I were in Texas together when we the governor state of Texas, this was a national scandal, when he mandated the HPV vaccine in all right. young ladies. Right. And um, and you and I uh, were like, wow, that was that's that's pretty nice. And now here you're telling me we're not even analyzing this in terms of uh, its morality or no. how it's made or its safety. We're going to hit those things. And people in the chat are asking about that. OK, cool. I'm but sorry, I'm up, but, but you're just, saying it drops off. I mean, even the yeah. HPV thing drops off and it doesn't protect you. Yeah. Yeah. So I just I found those specific statistics. It's actually 38 percent. 38 percent of recipients of the hepatitis B vaccine show extremely low level antibodies three years after vaccination. So I was actually giving a, a larger buffer than than actually exists. So it's a higher percentage and it's fewer years and um, at least 35% of the recipients of the HPV vaccine have undetectable antibody after five years. So, yeah, we're, mm. we're, we're vaccinating people and, and they don't seem to be producing protective responses. But one of the things also that I came across in my research is that um, antibodies are used as a marker of immunity um, just across the board. I mean, if you look in Plotkin's vaccines, which is yay thick and sitting on my shelf at home, um, it's yeah. the premier textbooks on textbook on vaccination that, you know, if anybody's exposed to uh, a real understanding of vaccination or, you know, the, the party line, real understanding of vaccination anyway, yeah. in school, um, they're, they're going to see something out of this textbook and, and they open up with saying, you know, antibodies are like the gold standard. This is what we're looking for. This is what we're after. Um, you know, and that, that may have made sense, like, 25 30 years ago but now with our understanding of the immune system that we have we know that there are so many more molecules that are involved in this there's so many cellular players there's interaction between your body and your microbiome and between um you know all of these cells in 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 your that are technically part of your immune system but then cells that are also part of other systems in your body there's all of this crosstalk i mean it, it, to 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 pick out one molecule and say okay this is our marker of immunity is is hogwash like that's just not gonna give you a, a, a real picture of whether somebody's immune or not so even you know even even these these things where we're saying you know antibody levels are dropping lower well uh -huh. according to people who are pushing vaccine science that's an indication that you're no longer immune but we don't even know if that actually means that you're no longer immune and we don't know if an antibody response means that you will be immune in the first place because right. we've had um there's been a number of of instances where women will have robust antibodies for um, rubella, for example, but then they'll contract rubella while they're pregnant and they're, they'll give birth to a child with congenital rubella syndrome. So there's there's just a lot of confusion about how to even tell if if um, these vaccines are effective or not. In addition to, to knowing, we know that they're not 100% effective because we have measles outbreaks, we have mumps outbreaks in fully vaccinated populations. Yeah. So it, it, it's, um, it's pretty evident that they're, they're not universally effective. Let's move. Uh, let's move into the uh, are they safe c category because I think this is where a lot of people spend their time and energy. Right. Yes, it's true for Catholics especially. Uh, are they moral? We're, we're going to hit that bucket. That's coming up. 
Definitely. But in just in terms of are they safe? Am I going to get injured from a vaccine? Does vaccine injury actually happen? Is it a real thing? Is this YouTube channel going to be purged for me even asking you this question? Maybe. I mean, <laughs> The, the, this is a whole this is a whole bucket here, and I know you've got a lot to say. I don't even know where to start with it, but get, let's just start with: um, Is vaccine injury real, and is it a, is it a realistic threat that you and I could face if we just go to the doctor and take a flu shot, for for example? So um, yeah, vaccine injury is real. Um, you and I both know a family whose whose oldest daughter was vaccine injured. And, and is um, now uh, pretty severely autistic. Um, I know a family here uh, that whose daughter was vaccine injured and is now dead. Um, and uh, I've never actually said this on air before. Um, but, uh, you know, part of the reason I have a dog in this fight is I'm pretty sure that my baby sister's baby vac- vaccine injured. Um, she developed uh, severe uh, autoimmune symptoms after um, receiving three doses of Gardasil. And uh, Gardasil and the flu vaccine are two of the most dangerous vaccines out there. Um, people who've had all three doses of Gardasil, um, the, the, the research has just really um, brought to light some pretty crummy things about it. Uh, it, it an average woman who hasn't received Gardasil um, has approximately a 60, 65% chance of, of conceiving and bearing a child. Um, the average woman who's received all three doses of Gardasil has a 20% chance of having conceived and born a child. Um, so there's some issues with fertility. There's issues with onset of all kinds of autoimmune conditions. Um, uh, POTS, uh, which I'm always, I always forget the, uh, the actual words for it. It's something osteopathic tachycardia syndrome, um, where, where your heart ends up, uh, racing, um, uh, it moved, pumping much too quickly. So you could be sitting and your heart will pump like somebody who's standing. You'd be standing, your heart will pump like somebody who's walking. You're walking, your heart will pump like somebody who's running. And so you, you get very exhausted, you get very dizzy, um, you get very disoriented. And, uh, you know, my sister is also affected by that. And that has also been linked to, um, that's been linked to Gardasil. Um, so, so vaccine injury is really real and it, it, it hits really close to home. Uh, for me and and for for people who are very dear to me, so um, I get I get very frustrated when people just kind of want to dismiss this and say, oh well, these are these are anecdotal cases. You can't necessarily mm-hmm. you can't necessarily confirm or verify or you know things like that because when you have something like an onset of an autoimmune condition, um, you know, and, and I've been interested in autoimmunity since since I've been interested in vaccines, I and mean, it's almost twenty years now because. Um, you know, runs in my family. So I have, I have aunts that have MS, aunts that have lupus. Um, uh, three, three of my five siblings or three of my four siblings have, um, there's five, if you count me, um, (laughs) three of my four siblings have, uh, autoimmune conditions, um, but really severe autoimmune conditions. You know, we're, we're not, we're not talking, uh, I have arthritis in my big toe, which Mm -hmm. is actually quite painful. Um, but, um, but you know, we're talking, you know, systemic eczema or fibromyalgia, um, and in an undiagnosable condition that, you know, has affected my one sibling for, for, uh, the majority of his adult life. Um, so uh, this is, this stuff is no joke and it, it happens because, um, there's a breakdown in self tolerance. So your immune system is an extremely coordinated, uh, efficient 
destructive mechanism. It's designed to uh, destroy things that enter your body that are not you. Um, so parasites, mm -hmm. um, viruses, bacteria, any anything like that, right? So if if you um, if you have an attack dog, you know it's very good if the attack dog attacks the burglar who's breaking in. It's not so good if the attack dog attacks the mailman, and it's really bad if the attack dog attacks your children. Um, so what you have basically with with um, vaccination is you're you're priming your immune system to be a really efficient attack dog. But the problem that that can happen is that sometimes you have cells that that bypass the normal regulatory mechanism that are self-reactive. And so if you if you vaccinate somebody and you initiate this this overblown immune response, and it is often overblown mm -hmm. um, for, for a variety of reasons. One, you're giving the kid multiple diseases at the same time. We don't usually encounter measles, mumps and rubella all at the same time. And if you got sick with measles, mumps and rubella all at the same time, you'd be in really bad shape but yet will inject your child at 15 months old with measles, mumps, and rubella at the same time, and probably also chicken pox and maybe diphtheria, tetanus, and polio on the same visit. Mm -hmm. So that's seven diseases at once. That that's, creates this sort of maelstrom in your immune system. Now, when you have that kind of overactivation, you, you can have two kinds of problems. You can have the immune system recognize and get sensitized to something that is harmless that's in your body at the same time. So... Um, there's there's some evidence, I think it's pretty strong evidence, that supports a link between the development of allergic reactions and vaccination. And so um, uh, peanut allergies, which, you know, when I was a kid, it, you could eat peanut butter in the lunchroom and it was fine and nobody cared. They served peanuts on airlines. Now almost no airlines serve peanuts. There are peanut-free tables at schools. Uh, peanut-free tables at tiny Catholic schools that I've substitute taught in, you know, where you really shouldn't have enough kids to have a kid with a peanut allergy if this wasn't super, super common, um, you know, and this is life threatening. This is a life threatening allergic reaction. Usually, um, when you have a peanut allergy, yeah, other, uh, other reactions like hay fever and, and asthma are less life threatening, but they're, they're serious because you have to deal with them the rest of your life. So if, if the, the kid is exposed during vaccination to, to peanuts and the kid has a leaky gut, so some of the peanut proteins get, you know, into his body where they shouldn't be, um, the vaccine can actually cause him to react to peanuts as well as to measles, mumps, and rubella or whatever else he's being vaccinated for. Um, because the, it, the, it's, um, it's inciting your immune system to just react against whatever is present. And if you're introducing uh, harmless antigens at the same time that you're introducing disease material, then your body doesn't necessarily discriminate and you can develop an allergy to egg, to dairy, to to peanuts, to, to any other kind of thing. Is this the only way that allergies happen? I don't think so. But it's curious to note that prior to the invention of the hypodermic needle, allergies were basically unheard of. Until we started injecting things underneath our own skin, we didn't really have allergy problems. Mm -hmm. um, now, that's a temporal association, and I haven't, I haven't um, uh, seen necessarily... Um, you know, I've seen with vaccines, at least, how, how that a plausible mechanism for why that works and how that could happen. But basically, if you're putting things into your bloodstream in the wrong way, they're not passing through, to, through your digestive system. They're not being broken down appropriately. You can develop inappropriate immune responses to them. Um, Let me can I can I zero in on two things sure, that you please, said? I, I, I could go on forever. <laughs> uh, you said two things that, that are lighting the audience on fire um, <laughs> and they are sterilization and autism. Now, I know that the risk right. of asking these questions means that 
Uh, YouTube might put us in timeout. They might ruin us. This video is not monetized. If you choose to become a patron to support RTF, that'd be fantastic. I encourage you to do that because I'm not going to be monetizing videos like this or, or too many in the future. But that all being said, my question, Pamela Akers, author of Vaccination, A Catholic Perspective, still weird to hear that. <laughs> I know. You're an author. You're published. You've made it big time. Um, talk to us about sterilization and vaccines, and we, we'll come back to that when we get to the COVID segment, obviously. Sure. sure. Um, and then, and then a, a little bit about autism as well, because if, if I try to find the link online, I will not find it. It is suppressed. So. Oh yeah, if you if you uh, if you look on the CD's website and in all capital, not all capital, but like a huge font, you know, it, it, across the top of the page, whichever page it is, it talks about vaccines and autism. Vaccines do not cause autism. That's baloney. Um, so now that I've said that, let me explain why. Um, so Dr. Andrew Wakefield um, was credited with kind of being the first person to assert that there's a potential link between vaccines and autism. And of course, if you've heard of vaccines and autism, you've probably heard the name Wakefield and you've probably heard him just absolutely trashed as a human being um, and, and his research absolutely trashed as well. And, and you've heard that his paper, the paper he originally published in The Lancet was retracted. Well, that, that part is true. The paper was retracted from The Lancet. But what you're usually not told is that his, his research, where, where he was looking at, um, I think it was nine individuals who had a, a, a irritable bowel syndrome symptoms and then also symptoms uh, consistent with a diagnosis of autism. And uh, he, he noticed an association between the receipt of the MMR vaccine and the onset of some of these symptoms. And all he said in his paper was, you know, there's there's this association and really there needs to be more research done. That was all he said. Um, and then later in, in a press conference, he made the very controversial suggestion that maybe we should administer the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccines separately. That, that doesn't sound like stuff that would blow up the internet. But um, it, it, it actually uh, led to Merck discontinuing the individual measles, mumps, and rubella vaccines. And so you now can only receive an MMR in, in the United States. Uh, that's, that's all you can get. And in other countries as well, I think it's true. I, I'm most familiar with what's available in the U.S. But you can only get these three dosed at the same time. This means that as a Catholic, you cannot morally vaccinate your child for any of these three diseases because the rubella vaccine is produced in aborted fetal cells. And the virus that the vaccine uses was obtained from aborted fetal tissue. So there are approximately 99 abortions involved altogether to make the cell line and to produce the virus. Um, most people don't realize that. Uh, they they want to think of the, the abortion component as it's sort of remote. I'm not, I'm not formally participating. It's only material participation. Um, they get a little bit more uncomfortable when they realize it's about 100 abortions. This wasn't one child that died. This okay, that, that's a point that, I, that I'm glad you made because I have seen theologians, I've seen moralists say that, okay, one, you know, one European child was uh, aborted in 1970-something, and his lung tissue was used for you know, XYZ vaccine. Your cooperation with that is so remote relative to the social benefit of it. I mean, basically, um, anyone who calls himself a theologian today who doesn't wear a cassock is pro 
uh, vaccine and telling you that you can cooperate. I don't think any of them are. Maybe they are aware. And if they're if they're aware, they're just willfully ignorant. Uh, you're saying ninety nine children were killed to develop, you know, MMR one, one vaccine. Yeah. Just just rubella. Um, so, um, yeah, there there. The, the idea that one baby was aborted is just absolutely, completely, totally untrue. Um, there are multiple aborted um, cell lines that that are are being used currently um, in the U.S. and around the world, um, and they're they're they have you know sort of strange names based on what tissue they were taken from, and and um, you know WI thirty eight. Uh, is is one of the aborted fetal cell lines. It's 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 WI because it was the the I forget the W. It stands for whatever institute. It was the Weistar Institute or something like that. Um, but it was 38 because it was the 38th aborted fetus that they had they had um, uh, collected to to try to produce a cell line in. And you know, there's there's uh, PERC six. There's HEK two nine three. HEK two nine three. I believe it was the 29th uh, baby and the third tissue type, I believe that's where that number comes from. Um, so, so, so one cell line isn't from one baby. I mean, technically it is in the sense that those, those cells that are currently being cultured in the laboratory came from one individual, but they usually don't get a cell line on the first attempt. And, and I'm going to issue a little bit of, um, parental advisory about what I'm about to say. Um, so if you're if you're watching this uh, live or or afterwards, and you have small children in the room, um, even teenage children, you might want to sort of have them cover their ears or have them step out for just a second, because uh, what what people also don't understand is is the the utter brutality of this, and um, in in order to do research on aborted fetal tissue, that fetal tissue needs to be fresh. Now we run into this problem with with um, uh, organ donation as Catholics, right? Because, um, in order for your organ to be donatable, you basically have to be alive when they take it out. And that's where brain death comes in. And, and that's a whole other bioethical issue. That's, that's a huge thing that people can be pretty divided about, but, but for your heart to be able to be transplanted into someone else's body, it basically still needs to be beating when they take it out or have just ceased beating because they just killed you. So they could take your heart. Um, this the same thing is true with these aborted fetal researchers. This wasn't just like, I mean, it's bad enough, right? It, it, it's it's one hundred percent already completely immoral um, to to murder a little baby in the womb and take its parts out of the mother and then experiment on those parts. These babies were often actually removed via C-section, still living, so that then their tissue could be experimented on, so it would be sufficiently fresh and undamaged. Um, and sometimes they were being dissected basically with their hearts still beating. Um, this is, I mean, this isn't just immoral. This is utterly satanic. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's, it's beyond barbaric. It's, it is, as you said, satanic, it's demonic. I, I think I, I can't help, but everyone can probably imagine they've seen the image, the famous image of a C-section baby coming out all in, in this, in the sack you know, this is a live birth is what this is. This is a live yeah. birth. Yeah. And if the heart is beating and you are cutting into the baby for yeah. what? To, for measles? Yeah. 
mumps, but yeah, or rubella, sorry. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, and it's, you know, and the, the Metaphical Academy of Life uh, document that came out that, that basically was very unclear and said, well, you know, there's reasons to conscientiously object, but, you know, also there's, there's, there's reasons that you could receive these vaccines. And so even Father Ripperger um, acknowledges that, that you could um, morally receive an aborted fetal vaccine if there is grave cause and there are no other alternatives. Um, so the Pontifical Academy of Life argument tries to argue that there's grave cause against rubella because of the possibility of congenital rubella syndrome. Um, so congenital rubella syndrome is pretty serious. If, if a woman's infected with rubella and contracts rubella in her first trimester, um, her baby can die. They can be born with abnormalities. Um, it's, it's, it's really serious. Um, but vaccinating against rubella doesn't actually help with congenital rubella syndrome. So if it did, there, there might potentially be an argument for a grave cause, but it doesn't. And that's what we kind of see over and over and over again with these aborted fetal vaccines is that, that they're not, not only are they questionably moral and, and obviously evil in their origins, but there's, there's not grave cause that they're being used for. We're vaccinating for chickenpox with aborted fetal cells. Chickenpox doesn't kill people unless you're too old to contract it. And the reason that people are contracting it in their, in their late teens, early twenties, when it's actually dangerous is because we started vaccinating for it. So we've actually caused a grave problem by vaccinating. Um, so I'm sorry, I'm coming at this from like 18 different angles at one time. No, 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 this is good. This is, this is very informative. I didn't, (laughs) I didn't know about the 99 children. And um, I, I didn't know yeah, about all, MMR. all of that information the, about the abortions and, and just the, the absolute brutality and, and, and grotesqueness of it. That's available on, on Children of God for Life. That is still currently uh, searchable on the Internet. If you go to C-O-G for life, F-O-R-L-I-F-E um, dot org, uh, you can find all that there. And, and if you look under the, their tab um, vaccines, I believe it's vaccines mm-hmm. and abortion. Um, they have some really excellent articles detailing, you know, mm-hmm. the gravity of this situation. Um, it, it's far more grave than people realize, I think. Okay, that's that's it. Can we talk a little bit just about just while we're still in the um, is it safe, does it work kind of sure. bucket? And we'll we'll get back into is it moral, and then we're going to head into <laughs> into COVID. Um, but but can you talk a little bit about autism and? And, and and sterilization, because sure. the the big fear with with COVID nineteen eighty four is that this vaccine is being rushed. It's not safe. It's not tested, et cetera. And um and so many of these vaccines, like you listed one, the HPV vaccine, which which has sterilative um, effects on on women. Um, we we have to know about these risks, and we have to be able to articulate right. and defend them. Right. Right. So um. I'll, I'll, I'll jump back in uh, to on the sterilization question, um, and then we can move on to the autism question. So the, the HPV vaccine, um, if you have one dose of the vaccine, it, it has a, there's, a, there's a modest decrease in, in the percentage of women that, that do conceive and bear children after that. And, and we're looking here at, you know, just to be completely honest about, about the data that we're looking at, they're looking at um, a cohort of women who, and this is, these weren't people in an experiment. This was a study done after the fact, just, 
you know, sampling data that was publicly available um, and, and looking at, at, at women who'd received the vaccine versus who hadn't received the vaccine and looking at all kinds of different things and, and, and um, the, the percentage of women that were pregnant and successfully um, actually gave birth to a child was one of the things they looked at. And it's, it's, it's possible that some of the effect that we're seeing with, with um, pregnancy and childbirth dropping so dramatically with the Gardasil vaccine, um, the HPV vaccine, uh, is, is due to the fact that people who are receiving this vaccine, especially if they're receiving it on purpose because they, they have a desire to be sexually active, but be protected Mm -hmm. at the same time, they may be engaging in risky behaviors. And this may lead to them contracting other sexual transmitted diseases that actually have an impact on infertility. So there's, yeah, sure. So this is people who are living a lifestyle that preclude, they they want that, you know, they want to have, they want to be dog moms. They want to be young urban professionals. Right. right. Uh, And so, so, yeah, I get that. And, and, and you're accounting for that in the numbers. Right. So, so there, there's, there's maybe a little bit of effect there that you're seeing. So somebody who's got three doses of the HPV vaccine is more likely to engage in some of these risky behaviors, which would have a, a modest impact on, on fertility rates. Right. But you certainly wouldn't see them drop from 65% to 20%. That's, that's astounding. That, that means that you, you are basically three times less likely to conceive and, and have children mm-hmm. if you've had all three doses of this vaccine. Um, and so, so is that the only it, one? I mean, could, we, we talked about Gardasil. Are there other vac- like kind of commonly given vaccines that are out there that do have um, the effect of sterilizing either men or women that, that, that you're aware of at this point? So the only ones I'm aware of are ones that have been um, used covertly in third world countries. So, so when I was researching the book, I was in, in contact um, had some personal conversations with uh, Dr. Wahome Nangare from Kenya, who's the head of the Catholic Kenya Medical Association. And he and and a team of, of Kenyan Catholic doctors were able to obtain some vials of tetanus vaccine that were being administered to Kenyan women. The, 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 they found the, the situation very sort of suspicious already because the vaccine was being targeted specifically to women of childbearing age. And also the, the shipments from the World Health Organization were literally under armed guard. Um, and, and they were being very sort of secretive and protective about how this vaccine was, was being delivered and administered. And so he, he and uh, a team of doctors were able to obtain about six vials of this vaccine and they, they tested it and they found that it contained HCG, which is um, a, a human protein that's that's actually involved in the development of, of and maintenance of healthy pregnancy. And so um, the World Health Organization has been doing research on birth control vaccines since the 1970s. And, and at some point along that way, they discovered that if you administer tetanus toxoid in combination with HCG, you can um, you can render women infertile. Um, and so this has actually been done in Kenya. It's been done in the Philippines. It's been done in a couple of other third world countries. Um, and this is all documented. There's, there was a paper that was released, uh, Dr. Wahome Nangare, that's N-G-A-R-E. Uh, if you want to, you want to Google it. Um, he, he was an author on a paper that was released documenting the, the situation in Kenya and the footnotes in that paper are unbelievable. I think they're probably... 20 different footnotes on the, the the World Health Organization birth control vaccine and multiple different footnotes on on different vaccination campaigns that were conducted around the world in in populations that were quote unquote less desirable to to uh, sterilize women without their consent. 
So that's that's the other main one that I know of. Um, I don't I don't know of any other common vaccines that cause ster- potential sterilization effects. Just the the HPV and then the tetanus vaccine when it's administered in conjunction with HCG. And as far as I know, that hasn't been done in the U.S. to this point, but it has been done in in Africa and in Asia. Okay, that's scary stuff. Um, truly scary. We have, we've already kind of dipped our toe into the is it moral section of this mm-hmm. podcast. Um, you did talk about the aborted fetal cells that are did used. You, did you want me to talk a little bit about autism still? Or? Uh, I, I, well, I, I want to get everything in. Sure. I definitely want to get everything in. I think, I think folks understand that, it, it's like you said, it, it causes a storm in your body. It injects seven different diseases into your body. Right. Um, and, um, and, well, it's, it's interesting because the autism is actually linked to the aborted fetal cells as well, um, because there's uh, Dr. Teresa Deicher, who started Sound Choice Pharmaceuticals, and she started this um, close to 20 years ago, because I remember, I remember seeing it, I think, when I was in college. Um, they, they're looking at developing ethical alternatives to, to aborted fetal vaccines, and uh, she was able to collect data, again, from publicly available records until the reporting agencies in the U.S. changed the way that they were reporting things suspiciously shortly after she started publishing this data. Um, she was able to collect data that indicated that that in the U.S., in the U.K., in Sweden, and I think the Netherlands, um, when a new vaccine was added to the schedule that contained aborted fetal cells or was made in, made in aborted fetal cells, um, the incidence in autism rose. And it rose twice as much if you had two more uh, aborted fetal vaccines. And it rose three times as much if you had three more aborted fetal vaccines. So she was able to note a correspondence between the use of new aborted fetal vaccines and the rise in autism, and also note that it was dose dependent. Um, so so this is important because these are two, two things that are, are necessary to establish um, epidemiological cause according to the Bradford Hill, Bradford Hill criteria, which has been used since the 1960s to determine, you know, uh, a lot of things about how um, environmental factors are related to the development of disease. And in the, the autism vaccine link actually actually fits most of those nine criteria and, and uh, uh-huh. including uh-huh. The, the most important one, which is temporality. So you have to be exposed to the the trigger before you get the disease and so it it definitely fits the temporality link but it's interesting because people who are who are very pro-vaccine uh like to dismiss that and say oh well Mm. you know correlation is not causation well not necessarily no but you have to have correlation or you can't have causation so it's already satisfying the most important criteria um and everybody acknowledges that um that they're temporally related they're related in in time uh, one comes before the other, but it, it also establishes, it meets a lot of these other criteria as well. And, and the thought is because, and this relates to the moral component as well, um, that, uh, the, the vaccines that are made in aborted fetal cells can't be completely all the cell debris can't be completely purified out of those vaccine preparations. So when you're getting vaccinated for chickenpox, you're also receiving proteins and DNA that was originally in those aborted fetal cells. So you're getting DNA from another human being um, whose cells have been growing in the laboratory since the 1970s. So who knows what kind of mutations are in there because they had to mutate it to get it to grow in the laboratory in the first place. 
this DNA is getting inserted and in, it's in, getting injected into your body. And there's a, a phenomenon called homologous recombination, which your wife would probably be somewhat familiar with being, having a background in biology. But basically the, the DNA from the, uh, from the cell debris can, can kind of find a place where it, it sort of matches the DNA in, in the cell it's getting injected into, and then it can actually swap out. So, and it's called homologous recombination because the, the DNA is homologous. It's similar. The, the two strands are similar to each other and it's called recombination because you're getting, you're getting some genetic switch around basically. Um, so Dr. Deicher believes and she supports her, her idea quite well. I think there's some really good stuff she has on, on YouTube as well as her, her sound choice website. Um, that the doses or the, the, the concentration of, of human fetal DNA that's present mm -hmm. in these, in these vaccines, especially, I mean, the chickenpox vaccine has more aborted fetal DNA in it than it has active ingredient for the chickenpox. Like it's, it's a little bizarre. Um, but oh my gosh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so the concentration of DNA that's present in these vaccines is, is more than sufficient for this homologous recombination to occur. And it could explain why, um, because scientists are, are struggling to figure out because there seems to be an environmental component to autism, but there also seems to be a genetic component to it. And they're struggling to figure out why, why do some of these autistic kids have hundreds of de novo mutations that just came out of nowhere? Their parents don't have these, you know, how'd they get, how'd they get this many mutations in this, in this short amount of time? Yeah. This explains that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a reasonable biological mechanism for that. So it's not, it's, you know, and it, it makes sense, right? Mike, that the, um, this is not a moral thing to do. It's not moral to inject, uh, a, a dead murdered baby's cellular parts into your body. Um, of course not. So there's going to be, there's going to be mm -hmm. consequences. This, this is in violation of natural law. There's going to be natural consequences to this. Yeah, that's it, right. Well, God, Almighty God in his world. mercy always tends to punish sin in a temporal manner. Right. So, so that in his mercy, we don't have to face his justice in purgatory, etc. So we, we should try, we try to pay for our sins here on earth. Uh, you know, if, if you live a licentious lifestyle, you're probably going to contract an SED. If you are a thief, you're probably going to get shot eventually by some gun, you know, gun owner or homeowner like me, who's going to blast you if you try to take my stuff. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, there, there usually is kind of a cause and effect on earth. We try to settle as many things on earth. Um, Pamela, I, I, I want to take this juncture and just point out that Colby Center put out this great series called Foundations Restore. You were in it. You were great in it. Uh, Amy in Denver is pointing that out in the live chat right now. She's encouraging people to pick that up while they buy your $10 book. $10. Can you buy five and pass out four copies? Can you buy 20 and use them as stocking stuffers? And while you're at it, grab the Foundations Restored series, which incidentally, Pamela is sitting in Keith's basement right now <laughs> keith put that series together he, he did foundations yeah, restore he's right. watching on the live chat shout out to he's, keith he's, thank you that's why guy. pamela is like on fiber and has a 4k camera and perfect I know, audio. Like, this, this is a clean this is stream not my setup this is this is way way above my pay grade yeah no so. this is a clean stream um yeah, so many, many thanks many thanks to to our 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 host here absolutely so um i want to I want to maybe transition just a little bit into like kind of stair step towards COVID because I'm getting a lot sure. of questions in the live chat sure. um, about COVID and people are people are asking questions and I'm going to take your questions at the end. Jordan, uh, who's who's the moderator in the chat, he's going to compile them, so don't worry. Uh, the, the best questions will rise to the top. 
But people are really <laughs> people are worried right now, Pam. I mean, they're really worried because rightly so. Because this this thing is being rushed. It's um and and people want to know. Uh, and I don't know if you have this information available to you at your fingerprints, uh, at at your fingertips rather. But some of the COVID uh, candidates have used these aborted fetal cells. Yep. I think some have not. Some have used yes. the humanized mice, which I was going to ask you about, but uh, it's it is exactly what it sounds like, and it's and it's horrific. Yeah. Um, and yeah. some have not. So um, why don't we? We already know that 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 killing people is wrong. That murdering babies is wrong. We understand that there is no there. The, that there is no possible way to get around that in terms of the morality. Is there anything else in morality before we jump into COVID that you wanted to touch on? Um, I, well, there's, I mean, there's, there's, all, there's a whole section on ethics in, in my book. And only one of the things I talk about in there is, is actually the aborted fetal cells. And obviously, you know, as a Catholic, I think that's probably one of the most important ones. And it, it's, it's like, it's kind of a no brainer. I mean, you, you can't participate in, in this, um, you know, morally. And, and again, Father Ripperger, he just did an interview with, um, uh, census Fidelium and, and Ryan Grant where he, he parses out this really, 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 really well. So, you know, for, for people who have, you know, very specific, uh, questions about that, I, I encourage you to go, to go and watch his interview. He does a much better job than me. He's, he is a moral theologian. I am not. <laughs> so mm-hmm. most of what you hear me saying, I'm repeating from either either him or or Father Phil Wolf, who has a, a, a homily printed on um, Children of God for Life, and then also Father Michael Copenhagen. So I'm, I'm borrowing from from better minds than mine here when I talk about you know these moral distinctions. Um, well, at least you show your work, and I appreciate that, and it's good work. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, but and by the, the way, Census Fidelium is in the chat right now. Oh, hey Steve, he's watching. <laughs> Okay, so uh, so when I when I talked about and I'm I'm looking sort of over here at my my book in PDF format, mm-hmm. um, I, I I talked about uh, the ethics of herd immunity. Um, I talked about infertility, um, which we've we've touched on, um, but I also talk about unnecessary administration um, and ethical uh, ethical issues in vaccine manufacturing. So. Um, if you've if you've been around the the vaccine research world for a while, you're probably aware that vaccine manufacturers are are um, uh, immune to liability for uh, any adverse events that result from the vaccine. So this was due to a bill that was passed in the 1980s um, after there were a number of deaths associated with the DPT vaccine, and uh, basically the manufacturer said, "Look, we're not going to keep producing vaccines unless you know you, the U.S. government, makes us." unable to be liable because we can't, we can't deal with all the lawsuits. Um, and so, uh, that, that legislation got pushed through. And so for, you know, over 30 years, vaccine manufacturers have not been held accountable for anything that goes wrong associated with their vaccines. I mean, and this is on top of all of the denial of anything going wrong that's, that is associated with the vaccines. Um, but you know, some, some people are aware of this and people are not, they're, they're, they're legally indemnified. And that's going to be the case for the COVID-19 vaccine. If there is a negative um, reaction to Pfizer's vaccine, to Moderna's vaccine, who's going to be accountable for that? Not Pfizer, not Moderna. The U.S. taxpayer is going to be accountable for that. If can we any can, can we just made. pause on that for a moment? Because I sure. I've, I've pointed this out in other videos. Um, YouTube took them down. I've talked about this with Steve at Census Fidelium. What an incredible business model, right? 
where <laughs> you you receive taxpayer money to do yeah. your research, right? And you sell your product. So there's there's no risk for a profit right now. You're receiving tax. They're all receiving taxpayer money to do the research. So they're they're not they're not risking their necks financially on That's this. Right. And, and, and then and then when and your the product is, when your product kills people when it sends them into a, what what is it called anaphylactic shock? I don't know how to pronounce yeah, it. Anaphylactic shock. Yeah. Uh, when when it does that, then you are Im, you are um, immune from liability. They can't right. sue you, and they yeah, can't no. sue the government. No, you have, you have recourse you're, to nobody. You you do have recourse to to the vaccine the vaccine court basically, which is kind of a travesty. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna look up just so I make sure I I um, I quote this correctly. Um, but you know, to in order to have your case reviewed in the vaccine court and and potentially win your case. Um, you have to meet some really like ridiculously stringent criteria. And Dr. Dr. Richard Muscovitz goes through all of these in his book, um, Vaccines are Reappraisal. And if you're if you're on the lookout for another good a good text, I, I highly recommend that book, Vaccines are Reappraisal. Also, um, Catherine Diodati, she wrote a book, uh, the uh, Immunization, History, Law and Ethics or something like that. Huh. Um, and these are these are in the footnotes of my book. Those are my two favorite books. Go to if you if you want, you know, something more. Um, you know, more in depth than what I've written it, it, on some of these, some of these issues. I, I was trying to cover, you know, something that was comprehensive, something that, that you could hand to your physician that, that wouldn't be this thick, you know, and intimidating to read. Um, so th- those two really go into a lot of good things, but he talks about how it's basically impossible to, to meet a lot of these criteria. And also, um, uh, there's, there's, um, there's been 435,000 reports to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, which is a, it's a self-reporting system. Um, it's estimated that, that that might only represent 10% or even as low as 1% of the actual adverse vaccine reactions because a lot of adverse vaccine reactions, especially if they're allergies or they're autoimmune disease, you're not, they're not going to develop overnight after you get a vaccine. Um, and, and, there, there are such common things in, in our, in our society today, unfortunately, that parents aren't even going to know to think, oh, was that connected to the vaccine? Like, were they normal before that? Um, you know, so, uh, so, so we could have as many as, is 4 million to 40 million, um, adverse events since 1990. Um, and, and, uh, and there's only been 16,000 claims that were filed with the vaccine court, only 16,000 claims that were filed only 4,000 claims that were compensated. So we're talking about a fraction of a fraction of a percent of people who actually get compensated for a vaccine injury. Right. Um, and it's not so like, it's not even like the, the money makes a uh, adequate restitution if no, your no, child really is vaccine I mean, injured. Yeah. Ask, well, I mean, ask my friend whose daughter is dead. There, there's right. nothing you could possibly give her that would bring her little girl back. Right. Um, want to get into COVID Second sure. half of the show, lots of questions. People are asking questions in the live chat. I have asked Jordan, who's moderating, and I've got two other moderators in there as well, one from Texas. I've never even met him. I just really like his comments in the live chat, so I just kind of made him a moderator, and he shows up, and he does a great job, so thank you, Michael. Um, Pamela, we're going to move into COVID, and there's a whole bucket of questions around this. It's, it's mm-hmm. rushed. Are they doing the test right? You had said in your book that, you know, coronavirus is a family of viruses and COVID-19 is part of that family. And right. they've been trying to vaccinate against it for like 19 years and it's eluded them. Um, 
can we can we just can you give us an overview about the COVID vaccine warp speed, Trump funded five billion by my count, maybe more than that, probably a lot more than that, maybe ten billion of taxpayer dollars rushing um, towards this vaccine. Just set the stage for us, and then we'll kind of get into it. Sure. So, um, you know, the, the the it's about twelve billion. <laughs> Uh, the 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 current deal on the table with Pfizer is um, 100, 100 million doses of vaccine at twenty dollars a dose. So they're going to get compensated at roughly two billion dollars um, when when those vaccines get get delivered and start being administered to people. They have a potential contract with the U.S. government for up to five hundred million more doses. That'd be a total of six hundred million doses, which would be a total of twelve billion dollars. Um, so we're not talking chump change here in terms of, of, uh, government funding in terms of what's, you know, what's able, what's up for grabs here. So, um, there's, there's people who think that, oh, well, you know, this, they're, they're developing this vaccine so fast because, you know, this thing, they knew about this thing a long time ago, was waiting in the wings, whatever. I, I think it's a lot more simple than that. I think they're developing this thing so dang fast because, you know, for, for whatever reason, we've reached this fever pitch of hysteria about it. Um, and, and people have their own pet theories about that. And, and that's not something I really want to go into per se, but, um, but, you know, we've reached this fever pitch of hysteria about this, this quote unquote pandemic, um, which by the way, the word pandemic doesn't really have any like standardized meaning the the, the world health organization dropped that from their lexicon. I'm so glad that you said that because I, I've talked about this with Steve at census Fidelium. And yeah. at one point, like he he came across some, so he scraped the internet, you know, like the, the like the archives of the internet where only Steve can get there. And he <laughs> said that at one point the the, the WHO had defined pandemic as be, having a lethality rate of eight percent. I know you and I talked on the phone, and you had never seen that before. I don't even know if it's true. Yeah. Maybe maybe Steve well, can cite a source. But sure. but but you told me like there there's no like actual like academic no, no academic definition of pandemic. Definition no, of pandemic. They, no, it's it's no. literally Literally a scare tactic. Yeah, and and I actually learned that on a, on a SciShow video or or an ASA. The guy, Hank Green, the guy who does the crash course science, he he did a little video on on the pandemic back when it started, and he pointed out first thing in his video. And this guy is this guy is not against the party line in any way, shape, or form. I mean, he's just he's a he's a mechanism for for disseminating it. Um, you know, and he points out that the, the word pandemic doesn't have any official meaning, and it hasn't had any official meaning for a long time. Um, uh, but you know, generally, it it it, uh, it means something that's affecting you know people across the world. Well, well, the common cold is a pandemic in that case. You know, um, it, it that the the word is just yeah. It's it's an unfortunate. Um, it's got unfortunate connotations in it. It's it's very manipulative. I think to use. Do you mind? So, do you mind if I just take a quick detour and tell sure. the folks who are watching the story I told you about the insurance? Because yep, here we t- we're talking about the word pandemic. And we've just said that it doesn't have an actual like academic meaning. There's no objective metrics. You can't say it's two percent lethal. It's five percent lethal. Whatever it, uh, it's 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 whatever people want it to mean. And yet, I know of a family. I was just told about a family in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mother of five. Husband dies in a car accident. Post mortem, he is tested for COVID. It's found out that he is tested positive. The why do, life why insurance. Do you a dead person for COVID. Like seriously. The life insurance that they had been that they had been carrying for years, paying into. This is the way insurance is supposed to work. You pay into it, and then it pays you back later. It's like an investment, right? Life insurance company, um, I'm not sure which one, comes out and says, 
oh, I'm sorry, he died of the pandemic because he tested positive for COVID-19. You get nothing. You don't get any of the life insurance benefits. I don't know if it was term or whole. I don't know any of the, any of the details. Think about this, though. They're hiding behind a word that is devoid of meaning right. in order to financially deny you of the benefits which, to which you have a claim. Right, right. This is a scary thing. Right. It's not just semantics. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's going to be used in real ways. And it is being used in real ways. I mean, in the first place, it's being used to frighten people. And then the second place, you're right, it's, it's, being used to, it's being used to authorize all kinds of things that shouldn't be authorized. I mean, this whole emergency use authorization for the Pfizer vaccine, it's, it's coming under, you know, this pandemic clause, you know. And so, so I, I think that the, the, the rush to produce the vaccine is, is probably more motivated by the fact that there's all this money on the table. And, and you have, you know, it, 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 the entire population of the U.S., the world, you know, as, as willing customers to line up and get stuck, you know. So it, obviously, you know, rational people are maybe not so willing, but... But that's how, I think that's how people are looking at it. You know, if if this is going to be mandated, wow, there's there's like there's there's a lot on the table here, um, and I think that's motivating kind of this this rush. It's 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 a weird. I, I I used to I used to never understand Mike how um how Nazi Germany happened. I never understood it. I was like, how could people be that dumb? How could they be that blind? And and, and now I get it. It, it it's I still don't get it at right. a certain level, but but right. I'm seeing it happen. I'm seeing people literally lose their minds yes. over something that's not it's not a grave concern i mean yes. we have a 99 percent survival rate with covid and that's when you lump everybody all together including the super high you know uh older age groups with excessive comorbidities i mean if, if i caught covid and and i probably already did um you know then my my chances of dying are are, are less than my chances of being eaten by a shark mm-hmm. I, I mean it's it's and you don't even live near but, the ocean. I mean, <laughs> but I have to, I know, right? But I, I have to wear a mask and to get groceries because I might have COVID. Right, right. Now th- Sorry, this is an kidding. interesting point because you know, as Saint Thomas says, you can never, you can never discuss a thing by its exceptions. You, in, in other words, you got to put first things first. So you have to discuss the ninety nine percent first. The fact of the matter is, it's not going to kill you. It's not going to kill me. It hasn't killed you. It didn't kill me. Um, but as you, as you look at it, then, then once you establish the principle, then you can discuss the exceptions to that principle. So I I want to bring in one, one question from the live chat from early on that I've been hanging on to since we're in the COVID bucket now. And it, and it's a, and it's a gentleman who says that he's 75 or maybe 85. He's immunocompromised and he's Uh asking you the question, should I take the COVID vaccine? Now that's a loaded question because we don't know who's going to win. We don't know right. how it was developed. We don't know a lot right. of things right. about well, we it. We don't know what the adverse reactions are. Um, so, uh, I mean, the short answer to the question is I, I can't make that medical decision for you. Um, the decision that I can make is, is would I take the vaccine, you know, um, were I in your position, which is, is not, it's not really an analogous case. Um, uh, certainly from, from what I, what I gathered from Father Ripperger, um, it would, it would be moral it would not be immoral for this gentleman to take this vaccine. Um, it, it would be licit. Uh, is it, is it necessary? I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't, I don't know the medical history. I don't know your likelihood of, ch- of catching the SARS-CoV-2 virus. 
Um, and if you're immunocompromised, I, I don't know how you'd respond to the vaccine. Um, the older you get, the, the less well you tolerate vaccination. Um, so there's, there's a number of, a number of risks involved there that, um, that really need to be weighed to, to be weighed and measured. Um, and it, it depends on what other kind of comorbidities you have as well. I mean, do you have a history of, of autoimmune or allergy type problems? Um, uh, yeah, I, I think this I think this is a good point for us to talk about mRNA, which is to my reading and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I only had time to skim parts of your book because I just got my hands on it and I encourage everyone to buy it. it's ten dollars, buy ten copies, give nine out of stocking stuffers. But Pamela, you talked about how mRNA is really like a novel delivery system of a vaccine and we're not quite sure how it works. Well, I mean, there's there's been studies done on mRNA vaccines in animals. There's been studies done in in cell culture. Um, there's there's two problems. There's, there's sort of broadly two problems with the coronavirus mRNA vaccine. Um, problem A is that there has never been a successful mRNA vaccine candidate delivered to humans ever. So, this would be the very first time that we're employing an mRNA vaccine candidate. And and the Pfizer vaccine, and I, I think also the Moderna vaccine, are mRNA candidates. Um, so so we're looking at pushing something on the world that, that has never been pushed on the world before. We do not we do not have safety data, we do not have reactogenicity data, we do not have efficacy data on any mRNA vaccine currently being administered in the population because there aren't any. Um, so so we don't know how this is going to work. And and there's an additional problem that that um, that concerns me because um, I, I know I know there are people who love Judy Mikovits and there are people who hate her, um, but she did some research that that I think demonstrated pretty effectively. And, and this she's not the only one who's done it that there are retroviral contaminants in um, in uh, the cell lines that are being used to to culture vaccines. And so a retrovirus is a, a specific kind of virus that it, it takes, it takes it's, it's an RNA virus. So it takes its RNA and it reverse transcribes it into DNA. And then it's, it has um, these special proteins that can, can take that DNA and actually insert it into your cells. So this is how HIV is um, supposed to work, right? As I did a lot of research on HIV for the HIV vaccine project at the, at the CUA, um, the idea is that, you know, you end up having what's called a latent infection. You get the DNA for the HIV inserted into your T cells. And later, when there's some environmental trigger or something goes wrong in your cells or whatever, it starts producing the HIV vaccine. And then you then you start ha- or, so the vaccine, <laughs> the HIV virus. And then you then you um, start losing more T cells and, and, and the, vi- the virus becomes um, uh, active instead of latent. And, and you can you can develop. Uh, immune deficiencies and you can die from this. Um, so if there's retroviral contaminants in, in RNA or a DNA vaccine, we don't know if those retroviruses are going to go ahead and insert the vaccine DNA into our own DNA. And, th- and, then, and then what do you have? Nobody knows. Um, and, and nobody knows really truly what's like you know, this, this mRNA is basically to transform your cells. It's, it's to insert genetic information into your cells so that your cells then produce the spike protein or modified spike protein of the coronavirus. And by the way, this modified spike protein that's that the, that Moderna is using is, um, 
it was developed in an aborted fetal cell line. So it, they, they, they did the mutagenesis, the mutations, they, they, um, then I think cultured the, I don't know if they cultured the virus or they just, they probably just transformed, they just transformed the cells and had them produce this protein. And then they, they extracted it out. They, they, they crystallized it. They studied its structure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is this going to do what we think it's going to do kind of thing? Yeah. Um, yeah. so that was actually produced and developed in, in aborted fetal cells, even though there, there are no, there's no aborted fetal, um, materials that are present in, in the Moderna vaccine. Um, there are in the AstraZeneca vaccine. Um, but, but the, the spike protein was actually developed in the aborted fetal cells. So, um, so, you know, they, they, they tested this. They also tested this in HEK293 cells, um, which is a border fetal cell line. And they, they saw that when you insert this RNA into these cells, it, it does actually make them produce spike proteins. But, you know, the, the, the vaccine research that, that got me kind of hooked on this whole paradigm in high school and wanting, wanting to actually work in vaccine development, they were trying to genetically transform um, plants so you could, for example, have a banana that you could eat and you could get immunized for smallpox. Well, they had an impossible time controlling the dosage because when you, when you mm-hmm. genetically transform something, it's, it's not, it's not hundred effective. Mm-hmm. You don't know how effective it's going to be. You don't know how many cells are going to get transformed. You don't know once they get transformed, how many copies of this they're going to make. Um, and you don't know, you don't know how much protein they're going to make after that. We, we have probably no idea what the real effective dosage on this is because once you, once you turn nucleic acids loose in a living organism, they don't behave well. Um, and, and that's just kind of a universal thing in, in, in biotechnology. I mean, we've seen it with, with CRISPR, which is, um, it's actually not a nucleic acid, but it's, it's modifying nucleic acids in your body. It's a protein. Um, but it's, it's supposed to be able to be, you know, it came out, I don't know how many years ago, but it's supposed to be able to you know, make designer babies and, and cure all these, you know, incurable genetic diseases and things like that. Well, China, um, and some Chinese researchers, uh, uh, produced the first, of course they were in vitro poor, poor babies, um, genetically, genetically modified humans using CRISPR. And the experiment was a complete disaster. This, this, this thing that was supposed to effectively modify their DNA, it got in there and it, it cut things where it shouldn't and it didn't cut things where it should. And now these kids are chimeras. They have, you know, they, they have the right gene in some cells and the wrong gene in the other cells and, and CRISPR cuts in places that you don't expect it to cut. And it, 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 when, when you try to do genetic modification of a living organism, it's, it's really, really, really complicated and it's really, really hit or miss. And you really need to spend a long time in research or development. And probably we shouldn't be doing this at all just from an ethical perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think people there's 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 this whole sub segment I'm sure you've encountered it of the internet that is is like terrified that we're going to get this thing injected into us and we're going to become you know Frankenstein. Uh, I, I think that's highly unlikely. Um, I just having been a biological re- researcher, having worked with DNA, having worked with DNA in living organisms, because after I did the vaccine research, I worked in a lab on on C. elegans, which is a worm. It's a it's a model organism. Um, but but you know I'm trying to insert genes in this little thousand cell worm and it's not going right. And there's established protocols to do this in, in the literature for decades, you know, so we just, the, the ability of, of man to actually accurately alter the genetic code of a living organism is, is paltry. Um, so, so I, I do think that, and, and, you know, and just of, put to put a finer point on it for, uh, cause I think this particular detail may have been missed. 
this will be the first time that a mass vaccinated product, vaccine product, will be used on humanity that uses this mRNA technology, right? Right. Well, and, and while we're talking about first times of things, this would be the first time Moderna has ever actually produced a product, if they do. Which is mind-blowing. Right, we're going we're gonna to maybe vaccinate somebody, everybody, with something that's produced by a biotech company that hasn't produced any drugs ever at all. Wow. I mean, it, it, yeah, nothing. They have nothing. They have a lot of patents. They don't have any products. I got to say, Pat, and you don't have to comment on this. This is just kind of a throwaway comment. But I take a lot of heat when I refer to this as the Magavax, the Trump vaccine, because he calls it warp speed. He says he's going to use the National Guard to distribute it. He says it that it, it, uh, it's, it's going to be given to every American. He's going to make 300 million doses. Um, it may not be a federal mandate. It may not even be a state-level mandate. But it will become a de facto mandate. Yeah. Because you can't through. shop without it. You can't go to mass without yeah. it because the bishop, the spineless bishops are going to tell you you got to be vaccinated before you enter my church. Uh, the ones who, who who locked down for $3.5 billion as a bailout. Um, the You can't go to work without it. You can't, uh, you can't do anything without it, right? So de facto, this thing will become a requirement. Uh, there are a lot of people in the chat who are asking – and you, this is beyond my pay grade, it's beyond your pay grade too, but I just want to maybe even just ask it as a rhetorical question, Pam. What do you do in the situation where it be, you can't live your life unless you, you inject this first ever mRNA created vaccine from Moderna that's never, uh, never made it through the FDA trials before, never brought a product to market? I mean, it's like, it's like am I going to take my kids and put them in a passenger van made by a car company that I've never heard of uh, that got rushed to market and skipped all the safety protocols. And I mean, this is way worse than that because this is altering their DNA. At least I can survive a car accident. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, well, we were discussing on the phone and, and then a little bit before we went on air, um, you know, I had a, a really serious injury that, that kind of uh, completely changed my life a couple years ago. Um, and, I, I get being heavily inconvenienced. <laughs> you know, I haven't been able to go grocery shopping in a really long time because I can't walk. So, um, you know, th that's, that's difficult. But at the same time, you got to understand that based on the times that we're living in, if you're going to be really Catholic, you have to expect to be heavily inconvenienced. You have to expect that there's going to be some suffering involved. And you also have to expect that if you do the right thing, God's going to fill it out. Like he's going to take care of it. And, and the way he takes care of it may not look like the way you would take care of it or the way you want it taken care of. But I can sit here and tell you from personal experience that that when you choose what you know is right for yourself and for your family, he takes care of it. Well, that's a beautiful so, sentiment. Um... I, I should have I had to quit life and go home a really long time ago, and, and I haven't had to. Yeah. You know? And I get, I get that it's scary. Yeah, it I it, it is. Uh, I, I just want to summarize what we have covered because I want to kind of just take questions. So Jordan, you can start collating the questions now. 
But if you're just now tuning in or if you tuned in halfway through, if you're listening to us to, to the second half of the podcast and you're not even watching on YouTube, which is fine, we didn't have too many visuals, we're talking with Pamela Aker, author of Vaccin- Vaccinations a, uh, from a Catholic Perspective. It's put out by the Colby Center. Colby Center has done great things. Hugh Owen has been on the channel twice. Um, Pam also has done work in Foundations Restored, which is like an 18 or 19 part uh, DVD series that is a must watch, an absolute must watch. Um, we have talked about vaccines in general. Are they safe? Are they effective? And are they moral? Then we sort of transition into COVID 1984, where we're talking about a vaccine that's been rushed to market. Billions of dollars have been thrown at the wall to see what would stick. They've skipped critical testing. Um, now it looks like the vaccine company who's going to bring it to market has never done so before. And 300 million doses are going to be rushed out by the national guard for you and I to consume in a novel manner with MRNA that could possibly change the composition of our DNA. Um, there's a lot to unpack here. I first question. I, I want to do maybe five questions, Jordan. So the first one is from Rose. Can you give your comments, Pamela? on the Simeon virus 40 and whether you have studied the cancer incidence as compared to adult tumor cells and aborted cells, which also cause cancers. I don't know what Rose is asking. I'm hoping SB, you do. She's asking about SV40. Yeah. So SV40 is, um, it's a Simeon virus. So it came, comes from monkeys. Um, and it is thought to have entered human populations through uh, the polio vaccine because the polio vaccine was cultured in monkey cells. We didn't know at the time to screen for other viruses. Viruses are extremely small, um, and you can't, you can't filter them out uh, in, in certain kinds of preparations. And so, of course, they weren't filtered out back when the polio vaccine was developed in, in the 50s, early 60s, something like that. Um, so they, this, this virus was then injected into a lot of unsuspecting people. And this is kind of what kind of why I'm really concerned about these possible retroviral contaminants in these mRNA vaccines. Um, if, if you're making something in, uh, in a cell line, now, if you're making something in a test tube, you're not going to get a retroviral contaminant, but if you're infected with a retrovirus at the time, you're still going to have the same problem. So, um, yeah, I, I can't, the, I haven't done research directly on SV40. It's been sort of an ancillary thing. Um, I can tell you that the, the incidence of cancer, in vaccinated individuals is higher than in unvaccinated individuals, and that mm-hmm. there seems to be a protective effect against cancer mm-hmm. uh, if you if you contract certain childhood diseases, so measles, mumps, rubella, chickenpox. If you've had one or more of those, you, you'll be less likely to develop a malignant tumor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all documented in Neil Miller's. Um, he's got a, a book on. Um, oh shoot, he he goes through like four hundred different uh, scientific papers and looks at all this evidence. Um, that that's really against against vaccinating uh, mass vaccinating in particular, um, but I can't remember the name of it. Mother Hen asks about the PCR tests. She points out that uh, the inventor they're a joke. They're a joke. <laughs> the, I, the inventor says it's not even a diagnostic test. This no, is what we're not. using. It, it, it is not. It's not a diagnostic test. I've used PCR in the laboratory. PCR is to amplify incredibly small amounts of DNA, and and it does it exponentially. So. So one of the problems with the PCR test is that there's no standard for how many cycles you run it. 
All right. And once you get up into 30, 35, 40, 45 cycles, like that doesn't sound like that much difference to you and me. But if we're talking on a logarithmic scale, that's orders of magnitude different, like like many orders of magnitude different. And so there are people as early as August who were arguing. And this was even in the new I think it was in The New York Times. This wasn't in like, you know, uh, uh, conspiracy theories are us uh, paper um, that that uh you know, that, that really the, the cycle length should be 35 or even 30 because 90% of people who are testing positive for SARS-CoV-2 actually don't have detectable viral load in their bodies. So in other words, 90% of the people that we're catching with this, with this RT-PCR test that we're running are not, uh, able to infect other people. And I was talking about this, did an interview with, um, uh, uh, a priest who wishes to remain unnamed, uh, Wednesday, and we were talking about this and how, uh, you know, you, you can't, if I have one viral particle in my body, I'm not going to infect you. Even if I have a few viral particles in my body, I'm not going to infect you. If I sneeze one viral particle on you or even 10 viral particles on you, I'm not going to infect you. Your immune system can handle that. There's, there's equilibrium sort of kinetics that go on here. You have to have enough virus to overload the immune system. And so 90% of people don't have enough virus to infect anybody else. Yet they're testing positive for SARS-CoV-2 and they're having to quarantine for 14 days. So this is ludicrous. And Florida just, um, the state legislature or something just, uh, released some, some, uh, passed something demanding that this be standardized in Florida so that, that you have, you are running the, the PCR test, the same number of cycles so that we have some idea what a positive test might actually mean, Mm -hmm. um, you know, versus testing positive versus not testing positive. And, you know, you were talking earlier about an anecdotal uh, story of, you know, pandemic being a problem. Um, anecdotally, I, I know it, of some young people who signed up to get COVID tested. Um, the testing facility closed before they got through the line. They went home. They didn't go back. They're young people, you know. Um, they had had a different idea that day uh, for their, their college life. Let me guess, they tested um, positive. <laughs> Yeah, they got a letter in the mail. They tested positive. Yeah, of course. Like, of course. This is a case-demic, as Steve Cunningham, as S. Fidelium always says. It's not a pandemic. Pamela, I want to move into a lightning round. I just want to I want to, I want to ask you kind of bullet bullet questions okay. um, and just, and, and just get your initial gut reaction to them. Okay, lightning okay. round. First, are there any of the candidates of COVID-1984 vaccine that you would take? No. Okay. Um, next Next I mean, question. I have a family history of autoimmunity too, though. So I have a family history of autoimmunity and I have a predisposition to not take something that's rushed to market because guess what vaccine was rushed to market, Mike? Gardasil, yep. which we're just talking about causing all these problems with fertility and all these problems with autoimmunity. And the 1976 swine, black, swine flu vaccine was rushed to market and it caused 10 times more uh, incidence of Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is a serious neurological disorder that's very debilitating than, than the seasonal flu vaccine causes. And by the way, the seasonal flu vaccine can give you Guillain-Barre syndrome, if you didn't know that. Um, Oof. So, we don't yeah. want that. No. Um, next question, lightning round. Thoughts on the Pfizer vaccine. Are there aborted cells Absolutely. in it? Do you know? I know they're all bad, no. but how bad is Pfizer? Uh, there's, there's no aborted cells in it. It, it, it. it was tested in aborted cells. So according to Father Ripperger uh, in the interview that he gave, because aborted fetal cells were used in the testing and production of it, um, even though they're not in the final uh, product, it is less grave than the, the ones that are, are actually produced in aborted fetal cells, but it is, um, 
still grave and, and grave means mortal. It doesn't mean, you know, I would be gravely inconvenienced. It means I would lose my house. Um, you know, I would, I would not be able to work and support my family. And he said, and even in those instances, you're still obligated to look for an alternative and not just sort of roll your sleeve up and take the vaccine. Do you wear a mask? Um, <laughs> Uh, when I go to physical therapy, yes, because I, I am not allowed to receive medical care without a mask. But other than that, in your daily life, you try not to. And they give me migraines and no, in my daily life, I, I, I try not to. So I try to only go places where they don't require me to wear a mask. We got thousands of questions. I feels like in the chat, I can't even possibly read them and keep up and hear what you're saying, Pamela. I mean, this is a, this is. I hope that this video goes viral. I hope that people can consume this information. I do want to keep this under two hours so that it is more shareable and people aren't intimidated by the length of time. Right. I want to thank you so much. Pamela Aker, author of Vaccinations, A Catholic Perspective, put out by the Colby Center. You can find it on colbycenter.org. Buy 10 for $10. It's 100 bucks. Nine stocking stuffers for you and your friends and your family. I hope these things sell out. I think Keith is in the chat, and he said that they already have maybe sold out on the first round. So you're, you're yeah, killing we had it. Yeah, we had to print more. So We want to go to a second reprint just because of this. That's what we want. That's All our right. goal. All right. We're going to sell good. these books. Thank you so much for being with us. God bless you. And um, consider becoming a patron of uh, RTF. Why? Well, because I do stuff like this. You don't see this on the big channels. You don't see this on the on the pro channels, let's say. Why? Because my livelihood doesn't depend on doing this, but I have invested a ton of money in bringing this information to you. So if you could consider becoming a patron, find me on Patreon, Restoring the Faith Media, Restoring the Faith. Um, I can continue to do this because it's only a matter of time, ladies and gentlemen, before YouTube deletes this video. Don't worry, I'm saving a local copy of me and Pam and our conversation today. And I hope that Pam joins me again and comes back. God bless you. Thanks for watching. Take care.